everyone, it's AK. So I saw that it's been a few weeks since I did an update, but I did also see that I've had a few listeners, which is great. So whoever you are listening, thank you very much. So I'm going to do an update of what's going on. So I have been watching President Trump and the coronavirus task force updates every day. And I've also been watching Governor Holcomb, the governor of Indiana, where I live, his updates every day as well. So today, Governor Holcomb, I don't know if he's trying to be funny or what his issue is, but it seems like the longer time goes on, he's trying to make like a joke out of this whole coronavirus situation. So for instance, today I was really heated when I saw it. It was not funny at all. So the way his um, conferences are set up, he has journalists that are able to um, call in a question and it's, you know, for the public to hear and then he answers it. So one of the journalists, I don't remember the question they asked. I just remember his response. Um, Whatever question she asked had something to do with um, when he was going to reopen the state or something along those lines. This man answered by saying, oh, I brought something with me today. He pulled out a crystal ball and put it on the table. Are you freaking kidding me? So the point in his little joke was, I don't know the answer. So here's a crystal ball. He, he, he. And I just was in shock. I really couldn't believe he did that. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? There are people dying from this. Indiana, every single day, people dying, old people, young people, people with pre-existing conditions, everybody is dying from this. And he thought it was appropriate to take out a crystal ball and put it on the table. So I was really in shock that he did that. I'm surprised none of the journalists called in and said, uh, Governor Holcomb, what possessed you to put that on the table and make a joke? So, I mean, <laughs> it seems at this point he's, he's the joke. But, but yeah, so he, um, I don't know if he's just trying to make light of the situation. If he's trying to be funny, I'm not really sure at this point, but it's, it's really getting to be offensive. It really is. And another thing that's really getting on my nerves is people, um, wanting to bring up the racial component, like demographics and breakdown of the coronavirus, who's infected, who dies, who recovers, etc. But I feel like everybody's dying from this virus. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, purple, blue, green, everybody's dying from it. Young, old, you know, suburban, rural. And one of the conferences, I think it was, let's see, today's Thursday. So it was earlier in the week. It was either Monday or Tuesday that I was watching it. And I was just appalled at the um, updates that the doctor was giving. So the doctor basically said along the lines of, the urban community. And if anybody understands coded language, everybody knows that urban is code for black. Tell me otherwise. So basically she was insinuating that the urban community needed more help and more um, testing and more health officials in the community and implying that they were too stupid to figure out a stay at home order and to go get tested for a virus. She didn't say anything about the suburban community needing that kind of help or the rural community needing that kind of help. They would need help more than the quote unquote urban areas because it's a lot of farmland out there and they don't even have Internet access. So I was a little offended, you know, listening to that. And I don't know if I said this before, 
Again, I'm not sure. I mean, the days kind of blend together, the updates blend together. But he also, the governor also proved that Urban was black in the sense of one of the journalists specifically asked the doctor, um, she's the doctor, she's the leader of the Indiana State Health Department, I think, something like that. Anyway, so they asked the doctor what's being done in African-American communities, like specifically said African-American communities. It was a really long question. And so she kind of looked to the governor a little bit and she's like, what was the first part? And he was like, oh, um, they're asking about testing in the urban communities. Excuse me? So in her reply, she talked about urban communities, which in a sense is supposed to mean cities, large cities. So she talked about Sellersburg, Indiana, which is Southern Indiana on the border of Kentucky. And it is certainly not a black area. It is a majority white area. And she talked about other areas that were majority white. And that wasn't really answering the person's question. The person was specifically asking about the African-American community. So at least it's kind of refreshing to know that when she answered the question about urban, she wasn't considering it to be black. She talked about, you know, larger cities in the state. Um, she did talk about Gary, which is a majority black city. So she, she did kind of talk a little bit about that, but she was talking about big cities. So of course, you know, when I heard that, I'm like, really governor? So I'm kind of frustrated that race and ethnicity is bring, being brought into this. I understand why. I understand when it comes to disease, illness, virus, people do want the demographics, the uh, breakdown of race, ethnicity, gender and whatnot. But it's like, come on, guys, does it really matter what color you are? Does it really matter if you're African-American, Hispanic, Asian, white? Does it really matter? At the end of the day, what matters is saving people's lives. And it's like the the coded language that's used and the fact that like the reporter didn't even get her question answered. I think it was a woman that asked that. Didn't even get her question answered because he told her urban community. So she's thinking, okay, urban means, you know, larger city or uh, area with a lot of people, not necessarily specific to race. So again, if you didn't know, urban is coded for black. And a lot of that has to do with the white flight that happened in the 1950s where they left the cities and created their own suburbs. So what was left in the city was poor blacks and, you know, poor whites, other minorities. So when you say urban, you're referring to that area. You're not going to say urban is supposed to mean city. So you're not going to say a city that has majority white people, that's over 100,000 you're not going to call that urban. You're going to call that suburban or rural. Well, rural doesn't have that many people. You're not going to use that same coded language to describe a majority white city. So I was kind of, you know, just a little in shock about that. But I mean, it. to be honest, I wasn't surprised about it. I mean, because that's how politics, that's the way the world works, that type of thing. But I'm just still like really heated over this man's crystal ball. Like I, I just, if you're from Indiana, and you watched the, uh, the conference today, I would love for you to comment on your thought, uh, what you thought about it, you know, were you offended or not? Some people might've thought it was funny, but I'm just kind of like, it's a slap in the face to people who actually had loved ones die from this coronavirus. So, you know, some people had their grandma, their parents die and they're mourning, they're suffering over their loss. And it's like, how dare their governor take out a crystal ball and try to make light of the situation. And I just, 
I don't know, maybe some people weren't offended by it. Maybe they thought it was funny, but I definitely didn't think it was funny. I haven't had anybody that I, that I know, you know, died from it, but it was just really offensive to me just as a regular Hoosier, you know, sitting at home and watching this on TV. And I just, I don't know, maybe it's just me. So if you didn't think it was a problem, you know, let me know, let me know your thoughts on it. Um, again, so my Twitter handle is AK17033. Again, AK17033. So let me know, send me a DM or just leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about it. Um, but okay, so that was the governor's um, speech, conference, whatever you want to call it today. So earlier in the week, I think it might've been, or was it Friday? Again, days blend together. It was sometime within the week or so that he went ahead and extended the stay at home order until uh, May 1st. It was eventually, eventually, it was originally supposed to expire um, this week, I think. So he went ahead and he does two weeks at a time. So May 1st, he's going to go back and look at the data, I'm guessing before May 1st. So his stay at home order has been in effect since March 26th, I think. And the president uh, declared a national emergency for the country. I think it was March 13th. So it's been, you know, it's been over a month since all this has um, gone down. So with the governor doing the extension of the stay at home order, you know, I find that fine, you know, but I understand there are a lot of people who are upset about it because there are some people that aren't considered essential and they're out of work. They have families to take care of. And of course, the unemployment claim system is just through the roof. Like it is crazy the amount of people, you know, trying to claim unemployment, which is understandable. So I understand people are frustrated and want to get back to work. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, you know, is it worth it to risk your life and the lives of your family? And and some people I actually had discussions with some people on Facebook and they said, yes, they said the governor and the federal government should end this shutdown, should open all the states back up, return back to normal, because they said it's a violation of uh, the Bill of Rights that every American is guaranteed in the Constitution. And they said it comes down to personal responsibility. I understand that argument, but viruses don't respect personal responsibility. And the issue with coronavirus at this point, as the doctors and scientists are figuring out, is that a lot of the times it's asymptomatic. So you don't show symptoms. So you think you're using personal responsibility when you make the decision to go to work, go to the store, go to wherever, when you could actually be carrying it, spreading it to other people or other people could be spreading it to you. So my comment um, that I had my discussion, I said, you know, I understand your frustration and your argument and the personal responsibility aspect of it. I said, but if the federal government and the state government had done absolutely nothing about this virus, nothing at all, just, just let it, you know, ride out business as usual. And I said, and millions of people died as opposed to 44,000, which is still, that's still a lot of people. One death is too much. So I said, if they hadn't done anything and we lost two, three, four million people in the country, you would be okay with that. <laughs> and these people said, yes. They said, yes, they would be okay with it because of personal responsibility. I mean, I didn't try to argue. I just kind of let it go. Cause again, 
personal responsibility is not affected by viruses. You, you, I mean, like, and the thing is, if everybody thinks they're using personal responsibility by being safe or whatever, again, this virus doesn't necessarily always have symptoms. So I kind of talked about, you know, the uh, preamble to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness is the rights that the government is there to protect, you know, because of the whole tyranny thing. King of England want to get away from this. We want to do our own thing. We're tired of the oppression from him. So my point was the government can't protect life, liberty and pursuit, pursuit of happiness if you're dead. So and of course, the thing was, oh, well, the government protects life because it, it lets me do whatever I want to do. Now, that's very selfish because, again, I understand both sides of this argument, but you doing whatever you want to do may cost the lives of others. And again, I don't know if people aren't thinking that people don't care. You know, there's different governors and mayors that are saying open the city back up, open the state back up, that type of thing. So it's like I understand that a lot of this, the issue is financial and economic. So, yeah, it is the government infringing on my right or whatnot. But a lot of people, for them, it's financial and economic. You know, they've been out of work for a month and a half, two months. They have a family to take care of, you know, can't get unemployment because the system is backed up. So I understand that. But I'm like, I'm sorry, I kind of care about people. But at the same time, I did quit my job back in December. If you guys have been listening, you know, that long, I quit my job in December because I became a full-time PhD student in an accelerated program. So when I quit my job, I had money saved up and I also have the student loan refund money. So I'm living off of student loans. So for me, the whole job situation doesn't matter because I don't have a job anyway. But even if I hadn't quit my job, I was a teacher. So I would still get a steady paycheck because of my contract. So it doesn't affect me when it comes to finances. But thinking about the other people, I mean, I understand the financial difficulties, but I care about people. I care about people from the aspect that if I can do something that stops people from dying, I'm going to do it. So I understand both sides of the coin. You know, we're being infringed by the government. Our economy is shut down. People don't have jobs. We're ready to get back to work. We want to open stuff back up. But then the, the other side of Okay, people are dying from this. This is a very contagious virus. There might not necessarily be symptoms. And, you know, people can die at the drop of a hat. And I just think, you know, especially with older people, you know, with parents, grandparents, people that have pre-existing conditions, diabetes, you know, pneumonia or low white blood cell count or whatever makes them susceptible to catch illness to, you know, viruses and whatnot. And I just kind of feel like, well, I, I mean, weighing it out, I feel like the people are more important and there have been some, um, I think, was it somebody in Indiana? Uh, maybe Trey Hollingsworth. Uh, he's a Senator or representative or something or another. I'm not sure if it was him. Now I have to look it up cause I don't want to spread fake news, but one of the things that he said, he got a lot of uh, backlash for it was he said, basically opening the government is, is I don't want to say more important. Okay. It was Trey Hollingsworth. He is a U.S. representative in Indiana's ninth con congressional district. So he said that the American like way of life is more important than the government shutdown. So basically he was saying 
it's it's a lose-lose situation. So we have people dying from the coronavirus and we have people struggling when it comes to economics. So he's saying basically letting Americans die to bring back the economy is the lesser of the evils. So yeah, as you can imagine, he got a lot of backlash for that. And the thing is, he's saying stuff a lot of people are actually thinking but they're not saying it out loud. Well, you know, the everyday American people are not necessarily politicians, but that sounds really insensitive. Again, when you have people that have died from this and because of the social distancing guidelines set forth by the CDC and the coronavirus task force, people are unable to attend funerals. They have to do this stuff virtually like online, you know, a phone call or whatever. And it's like, that's devastating. I couldn't imagine somebody in my family dying from this and I'm not able to attend a funeral and you want to tell me to open the country back up? We're going to just, you know, sacrifice more lives? Like there's there's no freaking way. And of course people are like, "Oh, well, if you don't agree with it, just stay inside, just stay at home." Okay, if the if the state and the federal government open back up and you're required to go back to work, and you don't want to because you're scared of, of getting sick. You know, you have sick people at home. You don't want to risk your health or your life. You're going to get fired. You're going to get fired because if it's open back up and everybody's required to go back to normal, if you don't go back to your job, you're fired. So it's, you can't stay home and make your own choice because, again, you'll lose your job. But not only that, I was talking to my mom um, about this the other day. And I said, you know, if everything, our, again, our, our order from our governor is supposed to extend May 1st or in May 1st. And I said, so if that actually ends May 1st and we're supposed to go back to normal, that's what we're expected to do. And I said, are people really going to rush up and go to the movies and go to uh, fine dining restaurants and do all these other group activities? And she said, yes. And she said, I'll tell you why. Yes, because there are people who aren't taking this seriously. They're still going out in parks, gathering together, playing basketball, doing all kinds of stuff because they don't believe this is real. They don't think it's that serious. So those would be the people to run out and go to the movies and go do the stuff that, you know, is requiring social distancing at this point. And I said, well, what about, you know, if they actually do this and they die? And she's like, well, they die, they die. I mean, that's that's on them, you know, and I was just like. I mean, I guess the people who were calling for everything to open back up would would do that. I mean, I I would hope not. But I mean, and there but there are still people that are saying that, you know, this is still a democratic hoax. It's a distraction of whatever it's supposed to be distracting us from. But as I said before, my thing is the president of the United States of America, Donald Trump is a businessman, billionaire businessman. He's got hotels casinos, resorts all over the world. So if he is convinced enough to the point where he agreed with the scientists and the doctors to shut it down, I don't think it's fake. Because if it was fake, he would have never done that. Because this is killing the American economy. If you've been watching his briefings, he talks about that constantly. So if it was fake, he would. there is no way he would have agreed to shut this down. So I feel like the president is actually doing this, taking this seriously. So I feel like Americans should take it seriously because he is. And because he's about his money, you know, that's that's what he, how he built his fortune up, you know, real estate, that's what he did. So 
if anybody is like hit hard about this, it's him. Because of course he doesn't run his properties at this point. He said, I think it was yesterday that his kids run the properties, but I mean, it's still family money. It's still his, you know, his businesses, his legacy. So this is affecting him. He's had to furlough workers, you know, that type of thing. So this is affecting all of the Trump properties worldwide. So I don't know, I just kind of feel like if the president's taking this seriously, shouldn't the American people? I mean, because President Trump, one thing that I like about him is that he tells it like it is, which is how he got in office. So if he were to actually think that this was a Democratic hoax, he would say it. He's not afraid to say whatever. He says whatever he wants. So if he thought this was a lie and thought it was fake, his briefings, well, first of all, he wouldn't even have briefings. But if he did, he would just go on and on about how the Democrats are lying and this is fake and they just want to distract us from X, Y, and Z. But he's not doing that. One thing he did talk about, he um, posted a tweet. Uh, Today's Thursday. Maybe it was Tuesday, I think. And he posted a tweet about um, the... Iranian boats or I don't remember the word for word basically it was like Iran had boats that were circling navy ships or something to do with American ships and he basically was like you know shoot them out you know just go ahead and basically blow it up if they want to try to mess with us and people were like oh my gosh I can't believe he said that but my thing is like he's right you know just because the world is suffering from this coronavirus doesn't mean that We should let our guard down internationally. So because we're suffering from this, that doesn't mean that the bases we have around the world, you know, the ships we have around the world and, you know, patrolling different areas, that doesn't mean we're like, oh, well, you know, I guess they're going to go ahead and die because we're suffering from coronavirus. I have a cousin who's in the Navy and he was actually like, you know, go President Trump. I agree. You know, this is going to affect our people. We can't let them do this to us, that type of thing. And there was, um, an instance a couple of weeks ago and it was Russia flying. I don't know if they were spy planes. Again, don't quote me. I'm not trying to do fake news. There were some type of planes and they were circling like the Alaska area and the United States, you know, caught on and handled the situation. They acknowledged that that happened. And I think what Russia was trying to do was to see if we send our planes and our stuff over to the U.S., are they going to be distracted enough to not respond or to not catch us, to not do anything? And they found out the hard way that, that no, we're, we're really ready and able, you know, our Coast Guard's still available, patrolling the waters. We still have our Air Force, you know, in the air and all that kind of stuff patrolling. So it's like basically this coronavirus does not mean that the United States is helpless when it comes to self-defense. So I feel like Iran and Russia have, have learned that, you know, no, we can't do, we can't, you know, they're still going to notice something's happening. You know, this is not like the United States is not susceptible or vulnerable to attack at this point. And I know 9-11 kind of ramped that up, you know, where we're always on guard. So it's like, there's a devastating illness that we have that's killing off thousands of people, but that doesn't mean that we're not able to defend ourselves against any type of foreign threat that, you know, somebody wants to try to take advantage of the situation. So Russia and Iran have done it. So I don't know if any other countries have done it or they're going to try to do it. I'd like to think that other countries worldwide are like, well, I mean, I'm not going to try to attack them because I saw what happened with Russia and the president threatening, you know, Iran, if they attack us or, or whatnot. 
So I'd like to think that other countries wouldn't do it. One thing that I saw yesterday during the coronavirus uh, briefing, I tried to look for any reaction from, okay, let me go back. So Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia is talking about opening up the economy, opening up the state, hair salons, tattoo parlors, spas, gyms, all the stuff that's social distancing. And somebody asked President Trump, a reporter asked him how he felt about this. So he went into this whole spiel about, you know, how he, uh, he liked Governor Kemp, you know, he helped him get elected and, and the Obamas tried to campaign for somebody else and they lost, blah, blah, blah. His whole point in it was, I like the guy, but he straight up said, I disagree. I disagree with him and I think he should hold off a little bit longer. So I've been trying to see if there's been a reaction from Governor Kemp. I haven't seen one. But my thing is, if the president is, is your friend, you know, helped you get elected in office, has, has support for you, you know, you guys are close. And he goes on national television and criticizing your decision to reopen your state. I mean, are you going to change your mind? Like the president called you out on it. Like, I mean, and there are people, of course, in Georgia, especially the Atlanta area where there's, you know, thousands, millions of people that they don't agree with it anyway. But it's kind of like it's it's kind of embarrassing in the sense of, OK, the president is my friend. And, you know, he's like, I respect his decisions, you know, as a governor. But he's like, I don't agree with the decision. He should wait a little bit longer. So I'm not sure. I've been trying to look and see if um, uh, Governor Kemp has said anything about this, because, again, the president being your friend, you know, helping you get elected and you, you guys are close or cool or whatever. And he's going on and he's disagreeing with you. I wonder if the people of Georgia are like, um, Governor, the president of the United States of America just called you out. Are you still going to make this same decision? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I've been trying to look and, and see. So that's one instance. Last night I watched, uh, I'm not sure when it happened. Um, it was an interview, CNN, with Anderson Cooper and Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman. Oh my gosh. If you guys have not seen that, please watch it. That lady is a straight up idiot. It's like throw the whole governor away, throw the whole city away. Like basically Anderson Cooper, he wasn't trying to like get into it with her. He literally wanted answers to his questions. And she didn't know how to answer those questions. So she just kept digging herself further and further into a hole. Basically, she wants to open up Las Vegas for the same reason everybody else does, you know, jobs and that type of thing. But of course, casinos, hotels, you can't really social distance, social distance in those areas. So she's at one point, she said that it wasn't her job or her responsibility to figure out a plan of how to get this to work. It's up to the casino owners to figure out how to get social distancing and how to get testing and how to do all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, so, so basically he was like, as mayor, you're saying that this isn't your responsibility. And she's like, no, that's not my job. I'm just kind of like, well, what the heck is your job as mayor? Then you're literally telling the city of Las Vegas. It's not my job to make sure you guys are safe and stay alive. And he talked about the mayor of Los Angeles. I don't remember his name, but he talked about how they were friends and how the mayor of L.A. is doing, you know, testing. You know, he's trying to help his people. And he's kind of like, well, 
why aren't you doing the same thing? But she kept reiterating that it's not her job. So as mayor, I'm not really sure what her job is, but Anderson Cooper, bless his heart. He, I mean, at one point he said that she was, that she made an ignorant statement and he took his glasses off, like wiped his face. I mean, he was just, I kudos to him. Like he is a legit, he's the highest paid um, journalist slash reporter out there. Kudos to him for um, continuing this discussion. So the ignorant statement was he was showing her or showing us, I guess, because people watching a map of China, he was basically explaining the social distancing and the lack of it. So he was using um, China as an example. It's like, um, I don't know what type of businesses it was on the map, but it was kind of like just a general, you know, like here's a person that's asymptomatic. Here's the possibility of them affecting these people, these people affecting these people. When he started to explain it, that woman said, this isn't China. This is Las Vegas. And he said, well, that's an ignorant statement. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? He was trying to show the woman how her ideology and her thought process of opening up Las Vegas, holding casino owners responsible was flawed. And her response was, this isn't China. Are you kidding? So again, those who are in Las Vegas, apparently, let me see, she's been the the mayor since wow 2011 it's been almost 10 years so if you guys can vote her out please vote her out I don't live in Las Vegas I don't know anyone that does but but again you have this politician oh she said she wasn't a politician too I don't know why but you have this politician who is in charge of ensuring your safety that's what you do as mayor you take care of the people that you represent those who voted you in office she said it's not her job so you elected her as the mayor and she's saying on national television that taking care of you, maintaining social distancing, giving advice to businesses, finding out how to get testing, because apparently the population of Nevada is, I think it was just over 3 million and the city of Las Vegas is over 2 million. So almost everybody lives in Las Vegas. So it's a very large city. So she's saying that it's not her responsibility to do these things. It's not her job. So again, um, people are just going after her, just criticizing her for saying this. And she even offered, um, she said something like she offered the city of Las Vegas to be a placebo of the virus. And he was literally like, so you're, you offered up your people as test subjects, basically. I mean, I'm just like, if I lived in Las Vegas, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do it right now because of the whole, uh, coronavirus and social distancing, but I would get out as soon as possible because if I have the mayor of my city on national television saying that it's not her job to do X, Y, and Z, why are you even the mayor? Why are you even in office? And then he asked her at one point, of course, she tried to, you know, talk around it, but he asked her, he said, okay, so if the casinos open up, are you going to be on the casino floor every single night because you want this stuff to open up? Is that where you're, are you going to do that? Since you think that it's uh, the responsibility and all this kind of stuff of casino. Are you going to be out there on the floor every night with those workers? And she said something along the lines of, no, she has a family to take care of. She wouldn't be out there. And the look on his face was kind of like, duh, that's my point in asking this question. So basically it's like, you want the city to open back up because you want people to go back to work, everything to go back, go back to normal and people risk their lives with this virus and the asymptomatic transformation or transferring. And you're not willing to do it yourself because you have a family to take care of. 
doesn't that kind of sound a little backward? So again, with the, the mayor, I'm not really sure what's going on with her. I kind of look, tried to look and see if she's changed her mind. I haven't seen anything yet, just yet, but I'm really curious to see if Governor Kemp, I don't remember when he's supposed to open it back up. I think it was Friday or wait, tomorrow. I'm not sure. But the fact that the president on national television called him out, I mean, a lot of people in Georgia weren't on board with that anyway, but it's kind of like, well, dude, the president called you out. So are you still going to go against not only the people of Georgia's wishes, but the president's, you know, recommendations, the CDC, the doctors, the scientists, are you really going to go against that? Not only that, but say, say he doesn't say he does say that, you know, businesses can open back up, go get a tattoo, go get your hair done, go to the gym. Are people actually going to do it? I mean, that's the question. Now, you probably would have some people like, you know, I need to get my hair done, which I think at this point, everybody in the United States needs their hair done. So you might have some people do it, but I wouldn't want to go to to the gym or to anywhere where, you know, the movie theater somewhere where you can't do social distancing. Because again, you can't see this virus. You can't see it. You don't know who has it, who doesn't have it. You might have it, might not have any symptoms whatsoever, but you spread it to other people and they have it and they spread it to other people. Like it's, it's a, a constant, a constant thing. And it's like, so, and that people are still trying to compare it to the flu. They keep saying, and even the president was like, look, this is not the flu. Stop it. But people are still comparing it to the flu. They're saying, oh, more people die from the flu every year than coronavirus. Well, this has been going on for about two months. And I think we're like at 44,000. So you're saying every year from the flu. So in March of 2021, let's see what these numbers look like. And like the president said, if the social distancing measures were not in place, we would have lost millions of Americans because of the way it spreads. We're learning about this virus more and more every day about different things about it because it is, it is new. So it's like we're learning what to do every day, you know, things that doctors, scientists. And I feel like it's not that they're not taking it seriously. We're just learning about it. And the, um, the Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Jerome Adams, um, somebody tried to imply that last night. He was at the conference and he spoke. And he, he's basically like, you know, we're learning about this every day. We don't know everything about this virus. So the stuff that we learn dictates how we change our social distancing and our recommendations for the American people. So because he was kind of kind of getting a little heated, you know, and I, I agree with him. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. I didn't know how this virus worked. I wasn't trying to lie to you guys. I didn't know. We don't have all the information. The WHO has not been transparent which everybody knows at this point you know and so I understand how he felt but I do feel like when it comes to reopening I mean again you have that risk and some people are willing to take that risk but a lot of people aren't they're not willing to do it and again if everything opens back up and you're supposed to go back to business as usual if you don't want to do that you're fired You don't have a job. You can't take care of your family all because you didn't want to risk the livelihood of yourself and your family. And that is completely unfair. I mean, I guess, you know, life isn't fair type of thing, but like, really, it's like, I'd rather stay home than risk going out, dying or bringing something home that could kill, you know, my kids and, you know, my family. Like, I, I'm sorry. I care about my family more than a job. Well, I mean, some people don't, you know, some, you know, 
I'm not one of those people, but some people don't. It's all about money or whatever. But I just kind of feel like, you know, at this point, it's it's not it's not feasible to do so. But the president did say that there are some areas in the country that aren't as affected. Like um, Metro, like New York City has almost nine million people. Just the city, the state has almost things, almost 18 million. Indiana has almost 7 million people in the whole state. And you have places like um, Wyoming. I think their population is, it's either just over 600,000 or just under 600,000. That's smaller than the city of Indianapolis. The whole state is smaller than Indianapolis. So you do have those issues, those um, places where their issues are less because they have less people. So it would make sense to, you know, open up Wyoming or Montana or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest that doesn't have a lot of people. So they're not as affected by it. So, and I mean, social distancing, you know, it's a large state, you know, you have a, a lot of land and stuff going on. So you have um, less interaction with people because it's, it's spread across the state type of thing. So that's a little different than opening again, the state of New York, which is almost 18 or 19 million people. So I do understand what he was saying in that instance. And I, I kind of agree somewhat, but then the issue is, how do you maintain your borders? Which I think that's also kind of how coronavirus spread is because people were leaving states. Like if you're in New York, New York is the epicenter. If you're leaving New York and you're going to Indiana, you're going to Ohio, you're going to Montana, Wyoming, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, you're going other places and you're bringing that virus with you, whether or not you have symptoms or not. You're bringing that with you and that's infecting other people who infect other people. It's like a domino effect. So I kind of think that's kind of why it, it got spread. I mean, that's, that's just my opinion. You know, I don't, again, don't quote me. I'm not trying to spread fake news. It's just what I think, how I feel about it. So it's like, if, if these states do open up, how do they maintain their borders? How do they maintain that outside people don't come in? So if I'm in the state of Wyoming and there's, I looked it up. There's 567,025 people. If I live in that state, how do I maintain our borders being closed so people from New York don't come into my state? Because if you're in New York, New York City especially, the odds are you might have been exposed to the virus. You might have it. You're a carrier or whatnot. So you coming to the state of Wyoming, we've opened up because, you know, we're good at this point. But if you come over from New York and you start infecting people, how do we maintain that? How do we close our borders off? And I think a state like Wyoming, it would be easier to close the borders because it's less people, I guess. I don't know. But, but that's the thing, too. If you have these states that open up, how do they maintain their low numbers? Because it's like people, people might be like, oh, well, Wyoming's open. They have a whole lot less people than we do. I'm going to go to Wyoming. And you go there and you're from a big city and you might have the virus and you're spreading it to people in Wyoming. So, I mean, I think that's an issue, too, with the states opening back up. How do you maintain your borders? How do you stop it from spreading in regards to outside people coming in? So it's like, never mind the borders of our country. What about the state borders? So, I mean, that's the thing, too. And then when people were talking about the flu, again, President Trump said this is not the flu. You know, basically stop saying it. This is worse than the flu. This is more than the flu. With the flu, you have symptoms. You might not have symptoms for a couple of days or whatever, but as far as I know, getting the flu is symptomatic. You, you can't 
have the flu without symptoms. At, at least, I mean, I, this is what I, you know, again, don't quote me, not trying to spread fake news. But when you have the flu, you know you have it or you know that you're sick. You know you're coughing, you have a fever, you know, body aches, you know, nausea, whatever it is that you have, you know something's wrong with you. So you stay home, you social distance voluntarily. But if you have asymptomatic, if you have the asymptomatic version of coronavirus, you don't know that you're sick. So you're not going to social distance, you're not going to stay at home because you don't feel sick, even though you have the, you're carrying the virus. And that's how it spreads to other people. So it is kind of getting frustrating. And I'm with the president on that about people comparing it to the flu. Again, with the flu, you know you're sick and you take precautionary, mether- uh, precautionary measures to protect you know, yourself, those around you. You know, if you have a family at home, kind of quarantine yourself in a separate bedroom or, or whatever, you know, stay away from the kids type of thing. That's what my mom does when she gets the flu or pneumonia. She kind of quarantines herself away from the family to, so she won't spread it because she knows she's sick. So it's kind of like the president's onto something when he's like, you know, People are comparing the coronavirus deaths to the flu deaths, which at this point is totally off the charts, but also comparing the symptoms like, oh, people have the flu and, you know, they stay home and they're fine. But it would be different if coronavirus was not asymptomatic, which we found that out, you know, the scientists and the doctors recently within probably the last month or so, at least that we found out that it is asymptomatic. So now the American people should take it even more seriously because you can't look at somebody and see, oh, they have the coronavirus. I'm going to stay away from them. I'm going to socially distance myself from them because you don't know. So it's not that I bet people wish it was like the flu in the sense of everybody has a symptom. Everybody knows they're sick because it manifests itself that way, but it doesn't. So again, with the people claiming, oh yeah, this is fake news. We should open up the states, you know, the American people, the economy and this, this, and this. And it's like, I mean, I get it. I get both sides of the coin. I really do. But from my personal viewpoint, I would rather have what we have, social distancing, the CDC guidelines, the Corona task for all that stuff. I would rather have that stay in place than opening up the country right away and people just start dropping dead like flies. Like that's horrible. And there are some people who are like Trey Hollingsworth who basically are saying, you know, it's a lose-lose situation. Let's choose the economy over people dying, which is ridiculous. There are people who feel like that, but I'm sorry, I care about my fellow Americans. I care about the American people. And I care, it would really bother me if that happened. If like tomorrow we open up the whole country, the states and everything, and then over the weekend, a million people die. Like that would really bother me as as a human being with with feelings and, and caring about people, but also as an American. And, and like I said on my, one of my other podcasts, how the American people, the United States of America, for probably, let's see, this is 2020, probably about 100 years or so, maybe, give or take some years, we have been the, the world leader, so to speak. I'm not trying to be like, oh, America's number one, America's best country in the world, screw everybody else. I mean, this is just, this is just fact. If you go back and look at American history as compared to the different countries in the world, before that it was, it was the British, the you know, UK, British Empire. But the United States of America has been the world leader for a lot of years in regards to, you know, military um, responses to pandemics, you know, uh, technology, you know, movies, like all these different kinds of things. People look to the U.S. for what to do, how to do, because we have that role in the world. 
So if the United States were to pull some crap like that, other countries would be like, well, you know, the United States is doing it. So that must mean it's safe because they wouldn't do if it wasn't safe. So we're going to follow their example. The U.S. leads by example. So we're going to follow that example and open up all our countries too. So then you have a billion people die around the world all because of that. So it's like, for me, I feel like it's not just the American people. It would affect the entire world. Because I feel like if, if people are looking to the U.S. For, for guidance, for you know their example or whatever to follow, and we do something that is dangerous and people end up dying of it, it's like, okay, so are we going to care if a billion people, the population's what, like just over 7 billion? So a billion people die, are we going to care? I mean, I just... Again, there are some people that probably say, oh, you know, no personal responsibility, social distancing. They don't have to follow the United States example. They can do their own thing, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, that's not how that's not how it works. So it's like it's important for the United States to continue to set this example, but also to take care of the American people. So it's like the responsibility that the U.S. has kind of given itself as, you know, the world savior, world leader, you know, military bases all over the world, almost in every country, you know, giving aid to people. I mean, all this kind of, we're just really invested in the world. You know, sometimes our own personal self-interest, sometimes just because, you know, the humanitarian efforts. But we have a, a very, very prominent influence in the world. So not only do we have the responsibility to the American people, we have the responsibility to the entire world. So it's like the, and the people that are, you know, yelling about opening the state up, opening the country back up, of course, they're not thinking about that. Some people probably don't care. But my thing is, if we do this and this affects the world, are people really going to continue to look at the United States as that example? Will the U.S. open up their country? A billion people died. Screw the U.S. We're not going to follow them anymore because they got all these people killed. Because they lead by example. We follow their example and look, look how many people died. So I don't think it's a good idea for that reason, for, for nationally or internationally. Now, one thing that's happening is China. People are really upset with China at this point. Not just Americans. Everybody's upset with China. I think it was, a, was it the state of Missouri that filed a lawsuit against China for, for this. So with, with China, of course, the issue is um, the fact that this virus has been around again. I've, I've done my own research. So whether or not it was fake news, I'm not really sure, but the virus has been around since I think like mid to late November, early December. Right. So I'm trying to think, when did the world start hearing about it? Maybe like a, like weeks after that, like a few weeks to a month after that. So like China knew that this existed and they saw how it affected their people, the spread, people dying, like the symptoms. And instead of saying, hey, rest of the world, this is happening in China. This is what's how it's affecting people. People are dying X, Y, and Z. We're just going to give you a heads up, let you know. They didn't do that. So because they didn't do that, again, most of the world does some type of business with China. So they continue to do business because people didn't know. They did not release that information. And from what I read, there are a few doctors that did um, type up reports or try to get the word out to, to the rest of the world about what's happening in China and they disappeared. So they're probably dead at this point. So they did have Chinese scientists trying to say, hey, 
we're going to try to give you a heads up. You know, this is what's going on. And then you have, um, there was a fake narrative. I'm not really sure who started the fake narrative, but it was like the Chinese people were eating bats and that's how they got this virus. And because they were selling bats in a, at a market or some kind of foolishness, but, and then they tried to say, Oh, the United States gave it to us. Well, if the U.S. had this, wouldn't Americans have it before Chinese? But anyway, so from what I read, the final thing I read was that it's a possibility that the, there's a, a lab in Wuhan and they were testing on bats for, for like some type of virus. And the virus was able to get out of the lab. And that's how it transmitted. I guess person that I don't, I don't know how it how it happened again. This is just something I read, which kind of makes the most logical sense that it was in a lab got out of the lab and then it just kind of started trans transferring among people in Wuhan. And then it, you know, escalated to other parts of China, which, which does make sense. And I also read that the reason they were doing this in the first place was to try to not necessarily like one up the U S but kind of compete with the U S when it comes to like diseases and stuff like that. So, I mean, if, the, if that's really true, how it happened, that's embarrassing. And I would, I can understand to some extent, uh, why the Chinese wouldn't necessarily want to say anything, you know, Hey, we're trying to be on the level of the U S when it comes to like infectious diseases. And we kind of screwed up. Everybody's like sick and they're dying. So I understand that to some extent, but I feel like being a part of the global economy, you have a responsibility to the global economy you're a part of. And China's a part of that economy. And part of the responsibility is to inform the rest of the economy that this is what is happening. We need to work together as a global economy. We're all in this together. So this is what's happened in our country. We're letting you guys know. So you, you're aware you, you can fix it, you know, have some type of vaccine or, or whatever, but they didn't do that. So of course the rest of the world is upset with China at this point, because I don't know if people are actually blaming China for the virus itself. I think people are blaming China for their um, reaction to it. The fact that they knew it was a thing, didn't share it with the rest of the world right away. I think people are upset about that, which is understandable. So I know a lot of people are even asking President Trump about China and, you know, the stuff, what's going to happen. And, and I understand, you know, he doesn't want to talk about that because at this point it's not, and not that it's not important, but it's not an issue we should be worried about right now. We should be worried about saving the lives of the American people, not about what's happening in China, what we're going to do to China after this pandemic is over or, you know, tones itself down. So, but he did say that, I don't know if we're doing it right now or we will do it, an investigation into the, um, into it, into China and their reaction. He keeps saying he has a good relationship with President Xi, but I'm like, how good can your relationship be? You know, I, I, again, I don't know. I mean, he talks about the trade deal, which is great, but I'm like, I don't know about that. So, um, one thing that he talked about, and again, I had to do some more research on my own. Um, the president, he's not the president. What is his position? He's like the, uh, I'm going to type it up. Don't want to do fake news. He is, um, the general, oh, director general of the world world health organization don't know how to say his name we're gonna go with uh dr tedros that's his first name so the president talked about how um the who also failed in the sense of it did not 
emphasize the importance of the virus. You know, the, the World Health Organization, it's world health. And he felt like, you know, they were China centric. And people gave him crap for that. Oh, he's just being racist. He's saying, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I, I'm, I'm a history teacher, political science, geography, social, name it. All that kind of stuff. That's what I do. So I was thinking about when he said it. And I was like, you know, the guy is, he's from Ethiopia. And I was thinking in my head, I said, I know that China does a lot of business in different parts of Africa, especially in recent years. And I was like, I think Ethiopia is one of the countries. And I checked it. Of course they are. So, I mean, I think President Trump might be onto something. Again, this is my opinion. So don't quote me. I'm not doing fake news. This is what I personally feel. That Ethiopia and China do business together. So the director general of the WHO is from Ethiopia. So wouldn't it make sense for him to try to protect the relationship that they have with China to continue to do business, which is really shady because it shouldn't be about business. It should be about saving people's lives or whatever. But all that aside, that, I mean, to me, that would make sense why they didn't do their job in, in that respect because they're trying to protect their relationship, their business relationship with China. Again, if you're listening and you have other opinions or think I'm completely off or just I'm full of BS, you know, let me know. Cause I, I really want to have dialogue with my listeners that I, that I now have again. Thank you. I want to have some type of dialogue and see what you guys think. So, so again, this is my personal theory that it would make sense for the doctor general, the director general of the WHO to downplay or hold back information that would have been useful to the entire world because of the business relationship between Ethiopia, where the director general is from, and China. So President Trump said that um, the U.S. will be doing, probably not just the U.S., the entire world, the rest of the world would, will be doing investigations into China and the WHO because the entire world has been, been affected by their incompetence. So it makes sense for like the rest of the world to, to band together and we're going to do this, this, and this. Because everybody's upset at this point. People are dying. You know, people are sick. It's just affecting everybody in the world, you know, indirectly or directly. So I feel like that's a good, a good thing to do. And when it came to suspending the funding, he did make a point about the billions of dollars that the U.S. puts into the WHO, you know, puts in way more than China. So he's basically like, now I, I'm mixed on this. I don't disagree about the funding issue. I just don't think he should have done it right now. But again, him saying it and doing it, I'm not sure how that works. If it literally just stopped like right now, or it was going to be a gradual process. Cause I feel like at this point, this is about the, it shouldn't be about politics. It shouldn't be about business. It should be taking care of everybody worldwide. So the United States spends, I think he said 500 billion. Now I'm not sure if that's an accurate number or 500 million, million billion, one of the two, a lot of money, basically. If the U.S. puts in that much money into the organization, that's probably funding a lot of it. So if we're taking that money away, that's affecting everybody in the world that relies on the WHO for, you know, supplies or, you know, whatever they need. So I feel like he, he should have waited to 
decide what to do with the funding aspect until the world is, you know, calmed down a little bit in regards to the pandemic. But I do agree that he, sh- he should, you know, we should kind of look into this because again, China and Ethiopia got business going on. So it is kind of shady that, you know, the WHO seems to be protecting China. Like he said, they were China centric. And again, people laugh at him and make fun of him, but because I understand a lot of the political and global um, economy and issues that are going on, like I'm, I just had to do it for myself. And I'm like, if the president is right, he's not full of crap. But if he's not right, he is. And I'm like, cause I'm like China centric. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. China does a lot of business in African countries at this point. You know, back then during the colonization period, you know, 500 years ago, it was European countries, you know, doing business in African countries and they left Africa went to crap, you know, mainly because of the colonization and pulling out after they've been ruling these countries for hundreds of years and now they're fighting all kinds of stuff. So Europeans aren't really invested that much in African countries. But China, on the other hand, is. And a lot China does, a lot they a lot of stuff they do is will provide aid. It's like a quid quid pro quo thing in regards to aid and companies and business. So China's doing a lot of that right now. So it makes it would make sense for the Ethiopian people, the different countries in Africa, Ethiopia is the one that comes to mind when it comes to doing um, business with China. Those people having a solid relationship with China because they wouldn't want to risk their business relationship with China, which is kind of messed up. Like you're willing to sacrifice billions of lives for like business and support from another country. Like how do you sleep at night? But I guess that's kind of where I differ when it comes to like worldwide issues. I feel like at the end of the day, it should be about, about the people, no matter where they're from, it should be about making sure that people have what they need. They're taken care of. And unless business and politics BS comes second, but again, that's just me. I don't run the WHO. You know, if I did, you know, maybe oh, I can never do something like that. But, but so I kind of think that that is something we need to look into. So, and another thing that happened, um, let me pull it up, not trying to do fake news. Um, one thing that happened is, when was this order signed? The executive order about um, banning immigration or closing the border. Okay, so our borders are already closed. Like he likes to talk about how he, um, oh, it was yesterday, April 22nd is when it was signed. He likes to talk about how, you know, he, he banned China and uh, at the end of January and the first person to do so. And, you know, he, he likes to talk about, again, I don't know if this is true or not about Nancy Pelosi wanting to have a, have a, a party in Chinatown in San Francisco to prove it wasn't racist or whatever it was. But he likes to talk about how he closed China down. As soon as he heard about this, heard it was here, he closed China down, travel in and out to China, just shut it down. So now our borders are closed to, I'm not sure like all of where else that sounded weird. What other places? He talks about Europe um, being closed down and he talks about the UK. When I was thinking, I was like, the UK is Europe. But I was like, oh, what he means is the UK is not like physically connected to Europe. So I'm like, okay, I got it now. So when he says UK and Europe, that makes sense what he's saying. Um, So he closed travel down to them. And then um, the Mexican border is closed. Um, The Canadian border is closed. For both of them, it's unless it's essential travel. And he talks about um, Mexico having 27,000 or something soldiers at the border. Again, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, it sounds good if it if it is. So he talks about the, the travel being shut down. 
So because the travel's already shut down, and now he's talking about um, immigration. So the way that it's portrayed in the media and everything, I'm like, I have to read this executive order to see what's going on. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a whole lot. But the main point of it, okay, it, he talks about um, it's suspending entry, which most people know, for 60 days. That's it, just 60 days, and he'll, you know, revisit it if he needs to, or when he, he'll revisit it after 60 days and sees what he needs to do. So basically, here is, there's three points. It says that it will limit entry for people who are outside the U.S., people who don't have a visa that's valid. Um, and who don't have official travel documents. So like, that's literally it. And I know he, he made a comment that he wanted to shut it down for illegal immigration. And I'm like, well, if they're illegally immigrating, that won't even be a thing because they're not coming here through these, through these things. But I mean, I don't know. So but that's it. That's literally it. Those, those three points. And so reading the rest of the order, it's a whole lot where it says it does not apply to. So this suspension limitation does not apply to obviously people that live in the U.S. So if you live, if you're, you know, live from the U.S. and you are, say you're doing business in Italy, he's not going to say you can't come back. Like you're an American, you come back. So, and then also he's saying that if you are an immigrant and you're coming here based on um, a health professional visa, we're going to let you in, which makes sense. We need all the doctors and scientists we can get. So if you are coming to work in the healthcare field, if you're coming to um, combat the spread of COVID-19, if you um, have a spouse or any unmarried kids after 21 or under 21, um, if you are an immigrant that your spouse is a U.S. citizen, um, again, kids that are uh, under 21 that are kids of U.S. citizens, um, member of the United States Armed Forces and their kids and their spouses. Um, if you're here to, if you're coming to seek a um, special immigrant visa and the Secretary of State decides those classifications, if you would be in the natural interest of being here, Secretary of State, Secretary of Homeland Security decides this. I mean, so basically... I mean, the people freaking about this immigration thing, like, have you read the executive order? I just read it. Not, well, not all of it, but I just read the main points of it. Basically, if you are of value to this country, you can come here. Like, I mean, and I guess I see what he's saying about the illegal thing, because that's kind of what the first part, the parts that, that it applies to are, are the people coming here illegally. But again, if you're coming here illegally, like you shouldn't be here in the first place and it, and it wouldn't really apply to you. So reading this, reading this executive order, and this is at whitehouse.gov. That's where the executive orders are. And that's where this one is. Again, it was signed yesterday. I think he said in the press conference that it would be signed last night, which it was. And, oh, it says right here, he signed 1159. Okay. So again, if you read this executive order, it's not saying that we're banning everybody that's non-American from coming here for 60 days. As I just read, a big portion that I think is important, I think people should read it anyway, it's important to read this and not rely on, you know, fake news or the media or whatever. 
that a big portion of it is if you are an immigrant who has valuable skills to help in the healthcare field or a scientist that could work with the COVID-19 scientist or whatever, that you can come here. So it's like if you are a doctor somewhere else or a nurse or a scientist, you know, you can come here. And I feel like people who are trying to get to the U.S., who are doctors and nurses, you know, because a lot of people immigrate from different countries to the U.S. anyway as a doctor or nurse or scientist. But if you, like now is your your shot really to come here. It's kind of like if you if you are from um, Nigeria and you're a doctor and you've been trying to come to the U.S. for, you know, for some time. I want to come to the U.S. I want to, you know, use my skills there, you know, make some money, make a lot of money. And you've been trying to come to the U.S. Now is your chance. Now is your chance. They're probably going to like vet you a little bit. And then, okay, you're, you're here. We're going to get you a visa. Like, let's come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's, come on, help us. You know, so anybody listening who is an immigrant or who's been interested in immigrating to the U.S. and you have a valuable, a valuable skill in the healthcare field, go ahead and look into this and you'll probably be able to immigrate quickly. I mean, they'll vet you, of course, because that's what they're supposed to do. But if you are a professional in the healthcare or science field, usually like your background is straight and you're legit. So, I mean, I guess you could be a criminal and a doctor. I mean, I'm not really sure how other countries work, but if that's something you've been interested in, definitely check this out. And it says you can bring your family too. So again, if you're a doctor in Nigeria, you have, you know, a husband and three kids, you can bring your family to the U.S. like basically per this executive order. Now it did say that the secretary of state and the secretary of Homeland security would be involved in the process. But again, if you're valuable, the United States needs all the help it can get with this coronavirus situation. So again, if you are an immigrant, you want to come here now is your chance. So, and you can say, Oh, this podcast on anchor, this person named AK gave me the information I need to come here. You know, give me a shout out when you get here. <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding. Uh, kind of. You, know, you really should do it. If, if you do it and it's because of the information I just gave you, go to the White House, whitehouse.gov to look at the executive order and start the process. You really should give me a shout out. I would greatly appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, you should definitely look into that if that's something that you have wanted to do for some time. I mean, this is, again, a quick easy way to get you and your family here and because it's going to be an immigrant visa you know it's not it's not forever obviously but I feel like if you do that you immigrate here you bring your family and you are valuable to the field that I mean I'm not saying that this is my opinion again not fake news my opinion I, I would think that your application for permanent residency would be fast-tracked because if you really make a contribution to the American healthcare field and it's like, oh crap, well, my my visa expires in, in three months. So, you know, it's great working with you, doctor, scientist. I got to go back to Nigeria. And it's like, well, hold, hold on a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. You, you did a really good job here. We're going to go ahead and, and fast-track that we want you to stay here. So again, this is my opinion, but I think that would be great. So this is a great idea for people to, who want to come from other countries who have valuable skills in the healthcare or science field. So again, that's the executive order. It's on whitehouse.gov and it said nothing about, you know, stopping immigration from 
people that are coming here from other places that have um, valuable skills or your kids or if you're already here, like if you're already here and you're a doctor or actually I'm not really sure. I don't know if it if it specified that I don't want to go through and read the whole thing again, but I don't know if it specified that that you have to be in the healthcare field to bring your family here. I'm not sure. It might have just meant if you're already here, you can bring your family. Again, don't quote me on this. It's a really long executive order. I don't want to go through and read it again, but that might be what it was saying. I'm not, I'm not really sure. But basically, the, the order does not ban all immigration. It does not shut down the entire country in regards to immigration, which does make sense because you want people to come here to use their skills to help combat this virus, to create a vaccine, to test, you know, antibodies or or whatever you need. So again, I recommend that if you, if you hear about this executive order on the news, the media, fake news, as the president likes to call it, you need to read it for yourself because I just looked at it and I'm telling you right now that this has nothing to do with banning immigration from everybody, everybody. It has nothing to do with it. So you should read it. I recommend you read it. And, you know, because, again, the, the news and the media likes to, to push things and take things out of context. And before the last couple of months, I didn't necessarily pay attention to the media, the news, like that type of stuff. But every day I've been watching um, the coronavirus task force. Right. So I've been watching it, listening every single day. So when I see stuff come up in the news media, and I see the clips and the sentences. They t- I was like, hold on a minute. I watched that entire briefing. They took out the two sentences in the middle of what he said or, or whatever. So I'm like, wow, it really is fake news. It really it really is. And, and I kind of do that on purpose, mainly because I'm interested in, in what they're saying. But also I'm like, OK, I'm going to listen to this whole thing and see, you know, what the media says, what pops up, what, you know, oh, Trump said that you shouldn't wear a mask. You know, you shouldn't, you know, da, 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 which is not true. And I'm just like, well, they left out the sentence where he said that, you know, keep the N95 masks for healthcare professionals. But if you want to wear a mask, go for it. And then he talked about people wearing scarves. He saw people wear scarves as a mask. So when I saw in the media, they took that part out. All they said was that Trump said to wear a scarf in substitution for a mask. And I was like blown away. I'm like, are you kidding and then the thing with the scarf was he was saying, like, if you're going to be out for like a limited amount of time, if you're going to run to the grocery store and come back or go to the pharmacy and come back. So in that instance, I was like, wow, that really is fake news. So I'm not really sure how much fake news has, has been said over the last, you know, three years or so. And I do know that he likes to exaggerate. So I do try to fact check a lot of stuff that he says. But in regards to the coronavirus task force briefings, I mean, he, he does exaggerate in the sense of like, oh, we're doing more than anybody else. We have millions of this. You know, he's probably exaggerating a little bit, but but it comes down to like the the facts of and a lot of stuff he's going based on CDC and the healthcare professionals. So the facts of what they're saying and what he's saying usually kind of line up. So it's like if you're saying fake news, not only is he saying it, you're saying that the professionals who created these guidelines are saying it. And that was something he said in one of his um, briefings, you know, it's not about me. It's about the other people, the Army Corps of Engineers, the doctors, the scientists, other medical personnel. These are the people who you are disrespecting, basically, when you when you criticize what I'm doing with the coronavirus task force. 
which does make sense. Trump is not a doctor. He's not a scientist. So all he has is his opinion. So he relies on the professionals to make those decisions. And they, you know, run it by him, you know, President Trump. This is what we should do. This is why. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Let's do it. You know, go ahead and, you know, implement it. So it's like people criticizing him is criticizing those people that work their butts off to try to keep the American people safe. So he, he does have a point in that sense. So, I mean, and I feel like also at this point, this is not the time to criticize the president and politics. This shouldn't be politics. And it's really frustrating. I know I said in an earlier podcast that I hope that this would bring the American people together. You know, we're all fighting against the invisible enemy, as he likes to say, we're at war with the invisible enemy, that this would bring Americans together like it did for 9-11. You know, we had a terrorist attack. Didn't matter if you were black, white, blue, purple. If you were a Jew, Christian, Muslim, atheist, it didn't matter what you were. We were collectively all Americans. And we came together. We waved those American flags and we're like, we're in this together. We have to figure out how to protect ourselves, what to do. You know, and I, I guess I naively thought, you know, almost 20 years later that that would happen now. But, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of disappointing, but when I think about it realistically, of course it's not going to happen. We are more partisan than ever. I mean, at least in my lifetime, you know, more partisan ever. And everything is about politics. Everybody, you either love or hate the president, which the president has nothing to do with our response and how American people feel about this virus. Doesn't matter if you hate him or love him. He has nothing to do with this virus and nothing to do with how, how, it, how you feel about it and how it affects you and your family. So, and I kind of felt like, you know, yeah, we're going to come together as Americans. We're going to fight this together. And no, that's not really happening. It's the exact opposite, you know? And even with these, uh, these bills that are passing the CARES Act, the, um, small business act or the other act, can't remember all their names that are passing for the American people to help their businesses keep going. And, you know, the, the paycheck protection program and all that kind of stuff and Congress, they have had some some stumbles and some roadblocks when it comes to the left and the right sides of the aisle, which is expected. But at the end of the day, they did come together and figure out a way to pass this bipartisanly, which is fantastic. So I feel like, you know, if we can do this bipartisan, then couldn't we do other things bipartisan? But again, I feel like the part of the issue with this is that it's been politicized and that's unacceptable. I think that it's completely unacceptable that this virus, this invisible enemy, this thing that's, you know, killing Americans has been politicized. It has nothing to do with politics. So, I mean, it's not too late to come together and wave our American flags and be collectively Americans, you know? It's not too late, but the odds of that happening are slim to none, you know? And it, it would really be beneficial because it's not like a 9-11, 9-11, the attack was on the United States like specifically U.S., you know, the planes crash, like that stuff happened in the United States. And we came together as Americans, waved our flags, you know, saying the Star Spangled Banner, you know, whatever we did, patriotic, patriotism. So what we have now, the invisible enemy is everywhere. So if we came together as Americans, exhibited patriotism, you know, working together, loyalty, um, that it would not only unite us as people, it would unite us as a country and we could set an example worldwide because everybody knows, it's not a secret, everybody knows that 
the American people, the government, it's all screwed up. You know, it's left and right, you know, liberal conservative that is so divided. Everybody in the world knows that it's not a secret, but if the American people could come together as Americans, like we did for 9-11, exhibit patriotism, work together, care about each other, that that could also set a positive example for the rest of the world. Hey, we know that the United States is having issues with their government, politicians and whatnot, but look at them. They're coming together in unity, exhibiting patriotism. They care about each other during this invisible enemy. Well, if the United States can get past their differences, then, you know, so can we or or whatever the issue may be. So, again, I feel like that's another way that the United States could set an example, a worldwide example. And I feel like we are the opportunities that we are having at this point to be the example, the worldwide example that we usually are are squandered that there's so much stuff going on that we could really be that example. Now I know, I mean, I don't know every country in the world. There's like 192 countries in the world that the UN recognizes, I think. Um, but so I don't know every single country in the world, but I do know there are countries that they also have, you know, political issues. They have, you know, their, their partisan issues, you know, political party or, you know, whatever their, their issues may be. And they're also separated. So it's like, this could be an example, again, an example for them to come together and unite, not just, you know, Americans. And I feel like, I don't know, but I know that part of the issue, a big, big part of the issue for the United States is that geographically, we are a very large country, like ridiculous how large it is. I mean, thousands of miles. I mean, other countries can fit inside our country. That's how big it is. So we have that issue. And we also have the issue of we have, I'm about to look it up. I don't want fake news. We have um, the third largest population. We have, as of 2019, 328.2 million people. So not only do we have a lot of land, we have a vast amount of land. We have a whole lot of people. So it's really hard to to make that happen, that unity happen, which is why I thought 9-11, the aftermath of that was was amazing. The patriotism that was exhibited, you know, I didn't see this partisan foolishness. And I mean, again, I live in Indiana. So what I saw was in Indiana and on the news or whatever. I, I can't speak for the entire country. But from what I saw that people were pro-American, like from what I saw, again, it might not be the whole country, but from what I saw collectively, so the fact that you got 300, well, I'm not sure what the population was in, in 2001. Okay, but over 300 million people, let's say, came together in unity as Americans. And that was able to happen? Like, that's amazing. So it's like, that sets an example for the rest of the world, too. You know, they have a very large country, all these people, and they can come together as Americans, you know, under a cause to protect, you know, their country, their people. So now I feel like, it's, what's happening is the same thing. We have something that's affecting Americans. I mean, it's affecting everybody in the world, in the world but it's affecting Americans. And we have the opportunity to come together in unity as Americans and set that example for the rest of the world. You know, hey, the world is just, you know, going down the toilet. You know, the economy, the gas prices or oil prices, like everything is just shot. But we can still unify as people, whether we're American people or French people, Italian people, 
you know, um, British people, Ethiopian, you know, whatever we are, we can unify. I mean, and together you're, you're stronger together than you are apart. If you have 328 million people and they're not unified, it's harder to get things done and to possibly find a cure, find a vaccine, do anything because we're not united and we should be united for the same cause. And that is to combat this virus, to create a vaccine or, or cure or, or something like that, and to focus on saving American lives. Shouldn't be about politics at all. Like it shouldn't be. Now I do understand like the, the relief acts that passed, that is politics, but again, they were able to come together and make a decision and make it happen past the, the acts that need to be passed. But other than that, this shouldn't be political. And I feel like these Corona briefings, oh crap, it's probably on right now, but these Corona briefings that are happening, why are people asking political questions? Like, I, I, I mean, I understand, but it's like, you're asking questions about like, what about China and what about, no, we're not, we don't care about China and Iran and all that. Like, we don't care about that right now. It should not be political. But I mean, that's just, I'm just one person. That's just how I feel, you know? But um, I talked way too long. It's been an hour and 20 minutes. I'm sorry, guys. If you actually listen to my entire podcast, kudos to you. I appreciate you a thousand percent. Because one of the reasons why I started this podcast, see, my voice is going out. See, I've been talking too long. One of the reasons why I started it was because I quit my job. <laughs> and I like to talk about political things historical things like that's what I like to do and because I no longer have a classroom and talk to my kids my students about it I figured you know I could create a podcast and whether or not people listen you know okay but I could at least talk about the things that I feel are important and the knowledge that I want to spread since I don't have students to do that with anymore so that's kind of why I wanted to do it I mean and People who are listening, I, again, I appreciate you. I see I have more listeners and that's fantastic. So people that are listening, again, my Twitter is AK17033. If you want to comment or send me a message, you know, hey, AK, I think this was great. You said this, this, and this. Can you expand on, on your opinion on this? Or AK, you're full of crap. You shouldn't have said that. Or, I, you know, whatever, negative, positive feedback, whatever it is, I would love to hear it. And I would love for people to ask questions so then that way, when I do a podcast, I can say, hey, on my Twitter account, I got a question that said, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go ahead and answer this question. You know, that'd be great. So again, I am going to um, go ahead and sign off because the uh, president, the briefing is on. So I will go ahead and I will talk to you later. Thank you for listening.